you for joining another episode of Hard Truth. Today we have Andrew Davis and Barrington Martin II, both who have already been on the show separately before, but now have come together for their own show called The Coffee and Cocaine Show. So I thought it was time to have them back on. How are you guys doing? I'm great. I'm wonderful. <laughs> Glorious even. Wonderful. So tell me a little bit about this new show that you have going on. Obviously, it's fairly new, especially since the last time you were on here. I think it's been a year now. So what's that all about? Do you want to go first, Barrington? I mean, Andrew, you came up with a wonderful, illustrious name that we have, and okay. I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you, you described that part, and I'll just you know put some pizzazz on whatever you say. Okay. So you know, it's interesting. The, the Coffee and Cocaine Show actually came from a group select marketing meeting that I set up, and we brainstormed like 12 different names and coffee and cocaine won out, which was totally my idea. And it's a, so it's a metaphor. If you think, if you actually get down to it about waking people up to uh, confronting different opinions and discussing things so that we can logically progress. Um, what we've been doing with the channel on YouTube, which you can find if you just go to YouTube and pump, uh, pump in the search coffee and cocaine show. Uh, <laughs> We've, we are now upcoming on our seventh week of hosting a public salon and forum. And the idea is to interact with people, uh, talk about ideas, uh, and challenge our ideas with a, with a diverse group of people. And so that's why on the, as the main people that we've had on video, which tell you the truth, nobody's really taken us up too much on it is anybody's welcome on video at any time. You just got to say something. But it's why it's been David Walker, Mr. Barrington, and myself. And that's because we all lay somewhere different on what a political uh, spectrum is. And so we're able to confront and challenge and kind of progress the uh, ideas to make everything a nice, safer, wonderful place to live as opposed to the madness in which we, we find ourselves now. You know, we're just attempting to find order out of chaos. And that's that's what we're doing. We also got some other stuff coming up, and I'll talk about that later. But I'm going to give Barrington an opportunity. It's, it's cocaine brew. That's what I want. You said it, uh, like a bolder, better brew. And mm -hmm. I know coffee is brewed. cocaine brewed as well. I did not know that this is new Well, to me. technically, you can make a tea out of the coca leaves. <laughs> oh, talk to me, Andrew. Yeah, and it's, it's a traditional drink. So God willing, I'm able to take you to Bolivia someday, and we'll go have some, some coca tea. And it's not at all like, it's just like caffeine. I figured, yeah. It's uh, just like caffeine. But, but <laughs> coca, well, listen, let's be honest about it. Cocaine has been, it's a plant. Okay, it's not a plant. It's derived, the, the chemical has been derived from a plant and concentrated uh, by unnatural means using solvents and things. I'm just talking about a metaphor. It's a metaphor, people. <laughs> it's a good one. Have you, guys, a good one. have you guys seen that meme of, I guess, it's just three, three of the same guys or three of the same men. And the first one, he's drinking some coffee and he says, I'm going to have a good morning today. The second one is he's going to take Adderall. And then he said, I want to, I'm going to get things done today. And the third one, he's, he uh, takes cocaine and he puts on sunglasses and his collar up. He said, I'm going to get things done all day, every day. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, my God. You should uh, use that as your header image. Have you seen <laughs> Have you seen our image? Actually, we have yes. a, a shout out to my friend, uh, Herman. He made a 
us, our, our images. I think it's, our graphics are so good. They are. I like them. I'm working on new ones for my show as well. No idea when that's going to happen, but... Um, hey, my man Herman's available. I can hook you up. You know, you, you got to come to me, Lena. I'm going to, I'm happy to help you to do stuff for free. <laughs> I just uh, don't think that way anymore, you know? Everybody's hurting. If I can pay someone, I should. Oh, that's cool. That's that's true. I get it. So I did dial in to a couple of your live streams on the Coffee and Cocaine show and interacted. And I love it because really what you're doing is exactly what I've been trying to get across to anyone who wants to come on my show. doesn't matter if you have a difference in opinion, a political viewpoint. Or whatever, we're going to have a discussion about it if you're open to it. And um, you all are definitely discussing those topics and differences in opinion and bringing up the things that people usually avoid in conversation just because it becomes a difficult conversation to have with the majority of the public at this point. So I rather enjoyed it. And um, I think maybe, maybe one day I'll come on. We'll, we'll see if the timing works out. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. And like I said, we're expanding what we're doing too. So we've got a pretty cool guest that bring, Barrington's bringing on. He's going to do an interview with someone. Uh, I've got an internationally renowned uh, Emirati businessman coming on. And that's going to be this Sunday. I'm going to record that. So it'll be dropped. Um, we're going to talk about the Abraham Accords and the peace that's sweeping across the Middle East right now. And uh, in conjunction with... Uh, Donnie, Donnie El Shwari is his name. Uh, I'm going to have another uh, man who is a former Syrian refugee, now living in Toronto, mm. Canada, named Abu Dandachi, and he uh, is is also fascinating. So it's going to be really great. We're going to have two Middle Eastern opinions on what's happening in the region. Uh, we won't have; they won't be some paid pundit. They won't be a government representative. Uh, real people who live who lived or live now in the region talking about the changes and the things that we need to push forward, which is actually really funny because a lot of what has prevented uh, peace in the Middle East from progressing is tribalism. Mm. And so me mm -hmm. and Barrington, we often confront tribalist viewpoints. Yes. Uh, this is like we preach about race and how it's like a stupid thing to focus on all the time. For that very same reason, it comes to the base thing of where we're people and not not little tribal groups fighting each other. Uh, I I was really I got excited to do this episode not only because we're friends, uh, but because you asked yesterday some of your Twitter followers questions that you wanted to ask that they wanted to have asked, which is you know good for you for serving your your base. And one it was guy, not my base that came. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It's all good. It doesn't matter to me because 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 we get we got a hilarious comment about we did. Uh, and I actually if I could show you my screen right now, and of course, yeah. the uh, people listening wouldn't be able to see it. But I have currently pulled up two definitions of words that I thought we might address on here. Let's get into so, it. <laughs> yeah, let's do. Also, I got it. I also posted this on Facebook. I have a Facebook page as well. Oh, before I forget. People listening, by the time this episode airs, there is a high likelihood that those episodes Andrew just mentioned will already be up on the Coffee and Cocaine Show YouTube channel. So go over there and take a look if you're interested. So we had some interesting comments here 
that brought up two words in particular that I started to focus on the real meaning of, one of which is pander, to pander. And for me, before I even looked up the definition, the idea of pandering in my mind was to appeal to purposely a specific group of people to get their attention or to, um, to get their approval. So then I, I looked up the definition and I wasn't too far off. The definition of pandering or pant to pander is to gratify or indulge. And then it says an immoral or distasteful desire, need, or habit of a person to pander. Now, for those of you who didn't see the Twitter, it was indicated that Barrington specifically, and we did ask for clarification, they did clarify it was Barrington. They indicated that Barrington panders to white supremacy specifically, which is interesting to me because I've been a follower of Barrington's for quite a while, already had him on my show once before. And while he does point out things that make you question literally anything, I have not once thought that he was pandering to white supremacists. So I'm going to open the floor to the two of you on this, uh, this fun topic here. I want to ask Barrington a simple question. Hey, Barrington. Yes, yes. Who do, white, who, do, who do white supremacists hate? People that look like me. <laughs> they hate anybody who isn't what they consider white, right? Correct. 1,000%. So you're black. If, for, I mean, obviously, it's audio only. If, if you don't are yes. familiar with Barrington, he is an African-American. And I am a Jewish man. <laughs> I'm just a white bitch, so I don't know. I'm privileged hey, over here. I don't have hey, an opinion. Inter- it was International Women's Day the other day. Let's yeah. let's celebrate your existence. But she's also a white woman, so she's speaking from a place of privilege, so she needs to be quiet on her own show as she speaks to um, you know, two minorities. <laughs> two two minorities, quote unquote, right? See, this is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> like like this is the thing I realized. And I think that he used that um he used white supremacy out of context. And this is why you really have to be careful for people who are just super extremist in their their viewpoints. And I think he was mainly he was he wanted to say that I was um what is that? Uh, pandering towards white people because this is not the first time a lot of people have come on my Twitter page and said that, oh well, you should be careful because you got all those white people agreeing with you. And I'm like, well, I have a diverse group of followers, so um, it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with the fact that these are very educated, smart people that are able to critically think and understand the scope of what I'm trying to prove or the conversations that I'm trying to have. And this is the thing, like I. Like I really detest the no the notion, excuse me, that we are like overusing words these days that like a lot of t- a lot of times people don't even know the definitions to. Like it, it really like hurts my heart that in my precious thirty two years of living that grown adult human beings lack reading comprehension skills first and foremost because of you know much of our conversations happen on Twitter and that they get so like caught up in their emotions that all sense of logic is just extracted from their membranes or from their cognition. And they just lose their minds when anyone um, possesses a narrative that doesn't go along with what they feel like that person should say. Case in point, I'm a young black man from Atlanta, Georgia. Automatically, unfortunately as well, everyone thinks that just by seeing me, that they already know what I'm going to talk about. They're going to know what I'm about. But as soon as I open my mouth, 
and I say something that is like slightly different from what they what they think that I'm supposed to say, oh my God, all hell breaks loose, and I don't understand that. Like that baffles me. It's a it's exactly what you pointed out. It's a lack of critical thinking. Like everything, I may not agree with everything that you tweet and everything that you say. However, if you just look it over and really take it in and apply that critical thinking, you'll see why you ended up on that viewpoint. And then you can apply your own opinions to it. But most people don't even critically think about it. They just immediately see what you've said and think, this is against anything I've ever been taught or anything I've ever seen. Or it physically hurts me to think that this might be real. So I'm just going to retaliate by being an asshole on Twitter. Well, and if you think about, so we start, so, okay, let me use inter- intersectionality to my own benefit. Oh, I moment. hate that word. Oh, I, I hate the word. I hate it too. I mean, you're on the same page with that, but let's talk about it. So let's, so you want to, you want to minimize harm to different minority groups and different oppressed people over time, right? That's, that's where the moral goal, goal is. And it comes from a good place, of course. Unless you're trying to use this to gain power over others. But if you have that, let's just let's just assume people have good intentions just because it's easier to discuss the idea or at least progress to where I'm going. So you're worried about the behavior of groups of people in the government. And so you find yourselves comparing everything to the Holocaust. And you find yourselves com- uh, comparing everyone who is opposed to you ideolo- ideologically as Nazis, even if they're not, or communists when they're not, you know, because both are really awful groups. But when you start comparing things to the Holocaust, you start comparing Donald Trump to Hitler, for instance, you have now devalued how evil Hitler is. See, no matter what, no matter how awful you think Donald Trump is, he didn't kill millions of people in a planned genocide he didn't do the things that so we're talking about two very different levels of evil even if you think that donald trump is a terrible human being and whatever at it on his on his best day he's not even as bad as hitler's bodyguard on his best i just want to point out another thing too because i've said this on multiple occasions on twitter in real life at this point if Americans these days were confronted by actual Nazis. They would not survive. There's no way. They spend too much time all up in their feelings and not actually able to defend themselves on a real level. I had a conversation with someone recently, an actual Catholic nun. I'm not kidding. A real Catholic nun who told me a story that the KKK at one point put a burning cross in front of one of their buildings many years back because they were helping people that the KKK did not like. These are white nuns that the KKK went after. Are you kidding me? And you think everyone's a white supremacist these days? You don't understand it. The different groups, these different hate groups hate different other different groups even by even without the racial element so like you're gonna find uh nazis don't like the catholic church it has to be protestant based the kkk very similar in fact uh there are, you can be hispanic and join the kkk uh, it's it's really wild and a lot of people don't know these things but it's it it's moot anyways if we're overusing these words 
whether it's racist or or you know comparing stuff to the Holocaust and the Nazis, you've devalued it. And the true people who are suffering are not only us because now we're desensitized to these words, so we don't know to be alarmed. Uh, is you've you've now sh- took a shit on the memories of the people who are victims of these groups. You're you're taking a shit on the sacrifices that people made to overcome these groups and the problems that they uh, created with their evil rhetoric and ideology, which I'm happy to condemn the idea that any group that thinks that they are superior based on race or anything like that is a bad group. I think most any reasonable person is happy to condemn white supremacy, uh, black supremacy, Hispanic supremacy, Asian supremacy, Jewish supremacy, uh, any any form of supremacy based on uh, race. I think I think pretty much every reasonable person is able to do that, and that should be the litmus test where we should be having people condemn that stuff on a regular basis and see who's racist or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it's it's not even like it's not rocket science. Like it's just easy as two plus two, but I can't even say that anymore because the answer is four and math is white supremacy is super, too. super racist. Like, oh my god, like like can I this is, go ahead. What if I can prove that one plus one is not two? My show isn't about magic tricks, bro. <laughs> ah that's good. But here here's the here's the math. One man, one woman minimum of one baby okay but we didn't talk about reproduction we're not talking about reproduction math andrew jeez give us a break i'm making a joke (laughs) give it a break i'm just saying like i just i just don't understand how we got to this point and like the more like like i remember well i can't even say i remember because i don't i've never experienced or or even have to deal with like true race issues before in my life like of course i've been around and and people have said like racist things or prejudice things but not necessarily towards me but like towards people that look like me that's one thing but to this this note of soft bigotry or the bigotry of low expectations is even it's even more threatening than like hardcore race racial issues these days and so i'm saying this to say like when people especially like black people or any other minorities tell me that i'm participating in things that promote white supremacy i think that it is like it's far-fetched as hell like it like there is there's no proof to that outside of your feelings and i just really am worried that we've allowed the way we feel to overshadow facts these days. Well, can you, can you expand on, cause I think that's uh, something that's not talked about enough. In my opinion, it made me Lena, I don't know, maybe you agree on this. You said bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. Uh, and I find that to be really, really interesting because that's not, that's a part of racism that's not talked about often. And I think we should discuss that. What do you think, Lena? You know what I mean? Does that make a lot of sense? Can you say that in a different way, just to make sure I understand right. exactly I'm, I'm gonna where you come you, I'm from? Gonna, I'm going to give you an example, right? So what you will hear oftentimes from people who buy into this white supremacist or white supremacy, excuse me, framework is that because all of these things happen to black people and all of these systems are in place to subjugate black people, then black people need a, like an extra, extra help or 
or um, an extra advantage to, you know, come back to a level playing field. And I disagree with that. For example, you hear like with the with the math is racist talk is that, you know, it is predicated on getting right answers and doing things that basically black children are unable to do. But that's not the case, because in, in many cases, what I see happening is these same individuals that are pushing these initiatives are not going to push these exact initiatives on their children. They're going to continue to teach their children the old way of doing things. And what's going to happen is the bar for minority children is, are going to be so low that it's going to be difficult for them to compete with these other children of people who are pushing those initiatives onto minority children. So it's like, it's a soft bigotry. It's like, oh, well, they need that help. They don't, they don't know any better. They don't, they're implying this with these rules. And so it's kind of like, like, I'm I'm a I'm a black. I used to be a black kid. I didn't have you know all of the all of these initiatives that you guys say that we needed. No, like my parents taught like taught me the hard way of of how to get things hard. Like um you know tough love as in regards to you know me needing needing to understand specific concepts in academia. Like I, there wasn't I didn't have any type of learning disability because I'm black or anything like that. My parents just put in the work like they should. And that's the thing that is never discussed is that oftentimes where these problems arise, it's mainly due to some type of inefficiencies in the home instead of it being like totally racial based. That's what it really boils down to. Yeah. So bigotry of low expectations, that is probably a great definition of that. Um, and I agree. I completely agree. And every time I hear that they're lowering the bar for certain colleges or they're lowering the bar for different things, the first thing I think is like, where's the scientific data that backs up that different races can't learn at the same speed or can't learn in the same way or can't learn if for me, every kid, yeah, every child is different. Every child learns at a different pace and they learn in a different way, whether that be hands on um listening having it re-explained writing things down over and over again everybody has their different way of learning even my two children that i have learn in different ways but i have never in my life heard so many people say that because they're a different race they need to have different expectations that seems like setting people up here's the thing okay and i know that people have used this a lot so i'm just gonna say it again i never once had a problem with having a black gynecologist. 15 years from now, if their expectations are lowered for how they have to graduate from college, I'm going to have a problem with it. And everyone else should too, because you're making sure that these people can get degrees with lower standards. It doesn't make any sense to me why you would be creating racism in a place that it didn't exist. Hey, so. As frustrating as all this is, there's a real life world, real world life example going on right now. If you want to see what the future is, if we follow this and it's not China and it's not, it's not Venezuela. You want to talk about judging everything on race and about how lowering the bar is going to be. Uh, If, if you just start treating a certain racial group this way, you can look exactly to South Africa right now. Yep. So, really? Oh, yeah. So the thing is, they got rid of apartheid and, you know, good on them. You know, I'm glad that the uh, white South African minority made the, the correct ethical decision in the 90s to vote to end apartheid. 
and then went ahead and elected Nelson Mandela by a wide margin. Uh, The problem is the people who actually cared about equality and cared about building a true rainbow nation where people are not judged on the color of their skin, uh, they only stayed in office for one term. That's Nelson Mandela. And then all of a sudden, uh, these people like uh, Jacob Zuma and a bunch of presidents who came after, and you can quickly see that they no longer cared about equality. They started caring about uh, corruption and lining their own pockets. And they used uh, the racial, well, they basically used a proto version of critical race theory to help enable that. And so now they have quotas for how many black kids have to pass a class. And now they have they have quotas about uh, they have something called the BEE, the the Black Empowerment. Uh, shoot, what is it called? Black Economic Empowerment. That's what it is. Black Economic Empowerment. So basically, if you want to start a business in South Africa now, fifty percent of the build, uh, ownership has to be a black person. And if you want to get a government contract, it only a black comp- owned company can do that. And so now it's reversed it and. This goes all the way down to the education system to where schools are forced to pass black students or fail to meet the criteria set forth by the government and laws. And so you have more and more and more unskilled, unqualified people who are not educated being pushed out. And poverty is creeping across South Africa at a rapid rate. Like it's it's not even creeping, it's sprinting. And this is affecting everyone except for the extreme wealthy who can already send their kids to school. So like the people who wanted apartheid in place are still rich because they had money. They still have money. They send their kids to school in England and they still have their businesses. The, the, the people that were supposed to be empowered by these laws are getting poorer. And all the middle class that existed that voted to give black Africans the right to vote in their own country are also suffering now too. And they're suffering brain drain. And their country is falling apart. South Africa used to have the number one economy in Africa. They were considered a first world economy. And now, and now they're worse. They're, 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 they're worse than Mexico. They're basically one step above Venezuela. The it's insane. part to this whole thing, for me at least, and Barrington's touched on this for a few other topics as well already, is how easily people are going along with this. Like, you don't see how racist it is to say that black kids have to have lower standards. That is so racist. They're like, oh, yeah, totally. I get it. No, I get when you're saying that the home environment didn't set them up for success with education. So help Mm -hmm. them. You know, I get that you're saying when they reach college level, they may not be ready for college. That's why you're able to start college and take classes for things you're lacking on and still be able to continue forward continue. I just don't get how people are, they're just fine with it. They're fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. You're telling me you're fine as a black person with someone saying that your kids can't meet standards of every other race in the world right now. You're fine with that. That sounds so racist to me. If somebody were saying that about my kids and I have a native American child, you know, so maybe one day that that will be said and I'll have to stand up and I will because that's bullshit. That is bullshit. Yeah. Like in, in so many ways, I just feel like a lot of people are like throwing in the, the white flag. Like I think they're throwing in the towel, not white flag, but yeah, they're throwing in the towel. Like <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's like it's like so like this is called the hard truth. So we're gonna t- I'm gonna tell the honest truth because this is what this is what I get like from looking um or just reading a lot of the, the tweets and responses. Like I were, I was remember speaking to an official um here when we say their name and they were like, you know, like we gotta we gotta make sure to do something to, you know, even the playing field or at least, you know, get the same or similar outcomes as everyone else. I was like, wait, you, you don't control outcomes. Like, I understand if you want everyone to have the same opportunity or access to opportunities. Cool. But like this notion that we are all equal is ridiculous. Like I'm not even the same person that I was two years ago on this day, two years ago. I oh. wasn't even the same person that I was last, like yesterday. I think like that, that, that deserves a qualifier. That deserves a qualifier. Everyone's not equal in their ability. Everybody's equal in their rights. Yes, that, that's yeah. that is it. That is it. That's the only thing. Like, like the only thing I feel like should be the focus is on on making sure you know, like we all get the or I can get the access to the opportunities that we need. Because I can say honestly and have an honest conversation and say that you know opportunities or the access to opportunities, there's a great disparity there. But if people are getting access to opportunities and people are still failing, well, hey, the, the government has done its job. Like, it's not it's not my job to ensure that you succeed. However, it's my, my job that you have an opportunity to succeed. And it, it, it stops and ends there. But this notion that, well, we look at these statistics, or, well, and we, look, we say, oh, well, whites have this, and blacks don't have this, well, wh- blacks need to have that. Well, why don't we ever bring up Nigerians? Why don't we ever bring up the Asians? Because we, when we bring those statistics up, and we see how how well that they're outperforming whites collectively, what ends up happening is that changes the entire conversation. Because now you can't talk about race anymore. You have to really look at the little intricate things of their culture to see well why are they like immigrants coming over here and outperforming whites like leaps and bounds, but yet blacks are native to to this land specifically in this current day, and they still can't get it together. Well, there's then one you have simple to, answer. What's that? They're all strongly family-oriented structures. Bingo. Bingo. And that's 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 really the basic thing here is we need how do we make how do we society how do we change society in a way that uh, encourages mothers and fathers to consistently uh, interact and be around their children and to parent them. Hold on, though, Andrew. Let's pivot just a this teeny tiny bit. Let's pivot just a little, bit. <laughs> just a little bit because any 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 type of um, economic, social. Um, let me see what else. What else? What else? Like any like any of these determinants will tell you that the family is the most like efficient way, efficient route to wealth. Anyone would tell you that, but specifically with our generation, I thought it was the lottery. This guy. Come on, <laughs> that's hilarious! Hilarious. <laughs> this guy, but no. But, but what I'm seeing, or the, the current trend is, a lot of people are are like totally being against family. Why is that? Like, I'm seeing so many like women state that they're not like like they're not really a goal of theirs is not to get married or to be a wife, but yet like. I don't understand how a woman will go slave away for someone else or an employer from nine to five, but she feels that slaving is being a wife to, to helping her husband. Why is that? So let me ask you this, because I've got a wife, I've got a family. Um, Correct. And my wife, she works. Uh, 
why why does it have to be why why do we have to frame it why do we have to box our ladies up to saying that this is the one route to happiness and this is the other route to happiness why can't it be acceptable for a woman to want to be a housewife just as as it is acceptable to want to be a working mom or to not be a mom um and and this is the problem with this kind of conversation i've seen for a long time is it boxes one side to another why do we have to yeah. make these judgment calls if you're going to have kids if you're going to be a wife if you're going to be a mother uh then what the i think the discussion should go to this is what you you have to do these are your duties if you don't do these you are a piece of shit if you don't raise your children you're a piece of shit but if think, you don't want to have kids it's fine i think the the real thing that should be pushed here is that it's okay to evolve and change with the time because when i had my first child I planned on continuing to be a working mom. I had no choice. I had to. When I had my second child, um, I had a hard time with pregnancy. And um, because of that, after she was born, I had a hard time raising her and continuing to work. Um, so I had to quit my job. And I, I was given by my husband at the time the option to just be a stay-at-home mom. So I did. So I went from wanting one thing to going to the other out of necessity. And also by that point, realizing how much time I felt like I had missed out on with my firstborn. And I wanted to have that with my second one. Because of the way that things are these days, I think maybe uh, men being a little soft might have caused that to actually fall apart because he straight up told me he could take care of us and I could be a working mom. And then we almost lost our house. So now we're divorced and I'm a working mom out of necessity again. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things like you have to evolve as things are presented with you, especially as a parent. Yeah. Okay. I have, you said something interesting there and I, we have, we have to bring that back to the topic to, of the conversation. You said men have become soft. Please unpack that. Barrington says this all the time, and he loves it. <laughs> yeah, you I know think I he might have been the one that implanted that seed in my head. You know I do. It's like, I, I, I don't know. And I'm only speaking from the experience of, like, comparing men I've been around to my father, because that's what a lot of people do, you know. Right, you compare, right. If you're a man, you compare yourself to your father if he was around. If you're a woman, you compare the men you're with or around to your father. And my father was sick and dying most of my life. And he still held his own, kept it together, stood up for my family, made sure we were okay. Even divorced from my mother was still there for Did, everything. Uh, can I swear? Yeah. Well, we've been doing it. Come on, man. Yeah, you've been doing it the whole <laughs> time. I haven't dropped the F-bomb, all right? You've been doing it the whole time. So what are you talking about? <laughs> you, know, you know what that's called? That's called being a fucking man. <laughs> right? And, and it, then... So then I, you know, I get married and yeah, you can be a stay at home mom. It's fine. And I'm like, yes, I can spend time with my kids. And then we're losing our house. We, uh, the mortgage wasn't paid. What are you kidding me? Why didn't you tell me? Well, I, excuses after excuse after excuse. And what it turned out was that the last, like, however many months before I divorced him, I was paying the mortgage. I found a job. I got a job, started paying for a house kept our house, kept it together, paid for a babysitter so that I could go to work. And it's like, 
I don't know. There's a lot of different examples that you can use out there, but it's like men are afraid to be men these days because they're going to offend the f feminists. They're going to offend the gay community. They're going to, who they're going to offend themselves. I don't know what, just be a man. If you want to be a man and you can be a man, be a man and accept it. Don't just be half a man because you're afraid of triggering people. There is don't still males out there and masculinity, not toxic masculinity, but masculinity is a thing that still needs to exist. I, I just yeah. don't. Don't yeah, live I in fear. It. That's the and thing that's too. Like men oh, don't live in you, fear. Man. Like that's it. Don't be scared. The worst thing that's going to happen is not that bad. No, but it's like, I don't like, then that's the thing. Like it's a, it's a combination of things. I think that for whatever reason, the interpersonal relationships between men and women are, are, are fractured a bit in that respect. And I think it's mainly due to these societal changes that we've been undergoing within my lifetime or our lifetime specifically. Like, like I just, I think about how my, how my dad was growing up. And of course, I mean, like you said, like I aspire, like the only man I've ever aspired to be like is my father because my father taught me at a very, very young age of what sacrifice meant. And he understood that like my mother had a certain lifestyle. He loved my mother, but he loved us enough to where he would never let anything occur where we ever went under that lifestyle. Like, and I cannot, like, like I've never wanted for anything in my life. And it's mainly due to my dad. Like even when my parents got divorced, I still saw my dad every day, mainly because he knew that like, well, when we've been his his firstborn and his son, he had to stay on me. He had to. He just understood that he had to do whatever it took. And so, like, even to this day, like one of the foremost tenets that he's always taught all of us, and I mean by all of us, I mean my siblings, is like hard work. Like, I just, like hard work. Like, no matter what you do, you always gotta you gotta go hard at it and be the best at it. And if you want things out of life, you gotta go hard. And the beauty of that is my mother never undermined him. My mother reemphasized that. And I feel like in a lot of instances, like I don't see, I just don't get that same type of aura, like from that from from other men that way. Like like Andrew and I, like one of the one, to me in my opinion, one of the reasons that Andrew and I are so so cool with each other is because we understand like we have certain things in, in masculinity that we understand for one another without even have to speak about it but like you don't get this same type of energy from other men these days like i don't like you think i give a damn who i offend i'm not gonna disrespect you of course one thousand percent because i'm a respectful person but i'm gonna be me at the end of the day like <laughs> what like i'm never going to um water down my masculinity to make you more comfortable because i shouldn't have to do that the thing is in my honest opinion, it was that culture that pumped in strong, independent woman, the idea of that. Be a strong, independent woman. Speak your mind. Don't let anybody hold you down. And that's fine. But people started to mistake men wanting to take care of them as being overly masculine or trying to control them. And yes, there is that out there. And that's a problem. However, if your man wants to take care of you, and you still can be independent, fucking do it. Like, that's, you're biologically made like that to well, care for people. So, <laughs> here's an interesting thing. So, me and Barrington, we have friends that are not like us. 
Because you mean, uh, like, it's a problem in our society where men are kind of fucking weak. They're soft. They're overly sensitive. And you'll find a lot of these men have a much more difficult time in finding and maintaining a relationship with a compatible female. And I believe, like, a, a large part of that is because traditional masculinity, which is like, if you're, tr- if you're like a fucking man, you have your lady and she's, she's your partner. She's your, your partner in crime. You don't fucking own her. You don't control her. You're in Correct. it together. So you're just thinking about what's good for her. And she's thinking about what's good for you. And you're talking and you're doing it actively, right? There's nothing toxic about that. And I believe that a man who sees, who's a man who will do all that he can to make sure have anything like, like I'm talking like your lady's in trouble. You're not afraid to sell your truck, but you, you know, cause she's, she's earned it. She's proven that she's, she's there. So if you're willing to get rid of Fair your enough. truck for your lady, that you're a fucking man. Um, you're going to find that women are more attracted to you. You're not gonna, you're not going to have a hard time being a, being a soft, no date guy. Cause that person who will do these things can go talk to women they don't have, they're not scared because they're already confident about themselves. Like it's a whole thing. So, oh man, I could just go on about it for hours and I'll get upset because like, we know people like there are guys, like I know guys that make really good livings. They have nice house, nice houses, nice cars. They've got everything that like stereotypically is what's supposed to be attractive. They're very sensitive. They're woke. They can't get a fucking date for them lives for their life. They're they, can't, they can't assert themselves. And that's the, that's the thing that's so funny to me is because a lot of times, and this is what I just noticed from, again, from just like minor observations from Twitter, the women that, that attacked me and that claim that I'm a misogynist and claim that I exude toxic masculinity for whatever reason, they cannot leave me alone. Like, like they, they, <laughs> they, they, they wait, they wait to like, I go peruse their timelines and they wait to get like, to have arguments with me. But when someone else that like flirts with them, on their timelines, they never give them attention. And so it, it always baffles me to, to just to see, like, wow, like, you guys will really just totally um, sacrifice the node of, like, like masculinity or that dominant aura of yourself to appease to these women who don't even really like you the way you like them. But yet and still, I'm the person that you're telling them to, to stay, stay for, away from or you're demonizing me, but yet, like, I get all of their attention and not, and not like, on purpose. It's so, it's so fascinating how that, how that happens because I think that a lot of times, like, we, we tend to negate our true inherent nature from from our from a, from a physiological from a biological perspective and because we continuously do this we're creating an imbalance and this is why we're having these problems in my opinion yeah and i i think i could rant about this and it really i feel like i would just be going in circles because there's never really a good way to point out that masculinity is being pummeled into the ground because people people see there's a lot of people out there who see masculinity in general just being toxic which is not exactly what that meant it's another one of those words that got tossed around so much that you just don't understand what it actually means and the same thing happens with feminists and and mega feminists that are constantly pushing it all the time there's just a point where they just start eating themselves 
and they don't realize that they're regressing and they're fighting their own point that got them there in the first place. And that, that just happens with a lot of causes these days, I think. They should so. stop saying that nice guys finish last. The truth <laughs> of the matter is, is that men who don't assert themselves finish last. Anyone who doesn't assert themselves finishes last. Anyone. Yeah. As a woman, I can, I can say that. <laughs> that's true. I was just, I'm making a joke. <laughs> it's just, I, you know, I have on uh, the forefront of my mind because I just said it, these people who are constantly fighting for equality, for females, for feminist, the feminist movement. And it, it's the same thing that you mentioned earlier. Is like, you have a right to be given the opportunity, but what you do with it when you get there is yours to fail. It's yours to mess up. And these people are, well, I didn't get hired because I'm a woman or whatever it is. Did they tell you that? Because maybe there was another woman there that had skills that you didn't, or maybe there was a man there that talked better than you did. Did you prepare before you went into that interview? Did you take a shower? Did you stink? I don't know. There's like basic things when you have an interview with a person that can turn them off and it may not be your gender. I'm tired of hearing it. Or your race. Yes. Same thing. It applies to anything really you know that every, people are fighting about right now. I'd love to see some feminists do some real work for equality. If we want to talk about equality, you know, it'd be really great. It'd be, it'd be really nice that if men got equal treatment under the law for uh, child custody and child rearing, I think that'd be a beautiful thing. I think it would be amazing if a man couldn't have his name put on a birth certificate without being informed. I would, I would also think that legally it should be, it should be a criminal uh, act to put a knowingly put a man on a birth certificate that isn't the father of a child, because that is a crime to the child as much to the man. These Hold are all on, things that I got, I got something, I got, I got something for, I got something for that. I, this is what I, this idea that I have that I want to like make a law. Like at some point in time when I um, achieve prominence in whatever position that I am. In. We get you elected. Yes. Yeah. This is what needs to happen. I think that everyone, like there needs to be a sexual contract. Oh, I knew this was coming. Different. There needs to be a sexual contract, meaning that, like, not not about like the like the act itself, but just like if you say you you're, have, you're going to have sex with a woman, and you're telling this woman like, hey, if a baby happens out of this, I do not want to opt in to be the father of this kid because I do not want children. Vice versa, I think that, and if the if a woman end up ends up getting pregnant. She ends up getting pregnant and the man does not want to be or be held liable as the father of that child. That should be a fair, that should be a fair assessment. That should be, that should be fair. And it goes vice versa. So let me ask you this, Barrington. Yes. So uh, right now, in I think most every state, uh, a man with the consent of the woman is able to sign his parental rights away. And by signing his parental rights away, uh, that in some places, once again, we have a, it's a big country, a lot of different rules in different places. Uh, it makes it so that person doesn't have to pay child support. It's not right. responsible for that child in any kind of way. Right. Um, I fear that what you're talking about would be bureaucratic as hell and highly intrusive, highly intrusive into people's privacy. Yes. How so? If I, okay. So if I mean, I, I understand like what you're trying to get here. You're trying to you protect all parties involved. Yes. 
but you but that requires a, like a massive amount of intrusion so because most we have a lot of accidental pregnancies around this this bitch all right like people be fucking dude and okay and there are That's so many the people getting drunk that they just met that this would be damn near impossible because you yeah. know people are go. That's why people go to bars. Imagine you <laughs> sign that contract when you're drunk. It's and not even like, legal. No, I don't want a baby. And then all of a sudden, there's a baby. There's pregnancy, and you're like, "Man, I was drunk. I do actually want a baby. I want to keep it now." Is it now the they're null and void because you were intoxicated? Is there I mean, going to be rules problem. and regulations on that? <laughs> I mean, no, I love that, that, that we're in opposition. Sense. Like, I love that we're in opposition. No, that make that makes sense. The reason I'm saying this is because, like, you're like this is this is the ideal. Like, you you asked a question earlier about how do we get people to basically, um, you know, res- respect the the family unit or want to make a, a a great cohesive family unit, but also on the flip side of that, like, how do we like minimize things like abortion, things like of that nature, if if you, I, I really feel if you allow people to to understand both parties to know that hey, if this person or this woman becomes pregnant, you know, like, like this man is not going to be is not liable to be the father of this kid. I think that what what would end up happening is a much more accountability in regards to sexual relations would occur because that's what needs to happen, honestly. In my in my mind, at least, and I, of course, I don't want any type of bureaucracy to be involved in people's free will in regards to who they want to have sex. Of course not, but it's hard for me at this juncture to think of a possible solution that just makes sense that will allow children or future children to have the lives that they should have as far as in regards to their parents. I think the best place to start with that, to be quite honest, is to teach during sex education and get rid of the stigma around adoption because right now make adoption cheap people yeah people will look down on you if you choose to adopt or if you put your child up for adoption they will unless you have a good reason behind it they they give you crap for it i have a family member who got pregnant at a young age and decided to put the child up for adoption because she was so young she didn't think she was ready and she hates that now she's an adult she has more children of her own now and they looking back on it she hated it but she hid that she hid that from the entire family none of us knew until she already had another child and was an adult and then had a breakdown and told us because the family would have talked her out of it if she had told anyone in and, 1934 yeah. it cost 50 dollars for an adoption in the united states did you know that how much Even is it now? It's thousands and thousands of dollars. It's like like ten grand minimum. What? Yeah. So it's actually on the set family up. that's adopting, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So the people who pay to get the child, which is actually what it is, and it's become a really disgusting thing. Uh, you go to an adoption agency and you say, "Hey, I want to adopt some children." They run a financial check on you. They do a background check on you. Then they inspect your home. And then once all that clears, you pay a serious amount of money. And it depends on the agency and the child. You go and visit all these children. You pick one. And then that's it. You go through all the legal fees, which is another bunch of money. Like, it's Um, really, really expensive to adopt children. Which is why, actually, like, when you see rich people who adopt kids that aren't celebrities, just, like, 
for instance, Amy Comey Barrett, right? She has a bunch of adopted kids. Right. She's not super, she's pretty well off, but she's not, a, she wasn't famous when she adopted those kids. It's actually like a really great thing because she just invested hundreds of thousands of dollars to take in a bunch of kids who were not cared for. That's beautiful, but we need to make it more accessible to people. Like me and my wife have looked at adoption and, you know, there's some kids that I would love to adopt. There's this little guy named Chance. I shit you not. Little guy named Chance and he's kind of cockeyed. But he's just an adorable little guy. And in his little bio, he's it's talking about how he, he loves to dance. He loves hot dogs and pizza. And he likes to watch cartoons. And I'm just like, little Chance, I wish I could take you home and take care of you. Because that that's a sweet little boy who needs a home. But I can't afford it because I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars at my disposal. Quick, quick question. Don't mean to interject. Beautiful story, Andrew. But did you have to mention the little chance it's cockeyed? Did you, did you really have to say it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, thought it was, I thought it was cute. Can, can I think, can't I think like someone with uh, a lazy eye is adorable? Maybe maybe he didn't want you to tell the world about his cockeyed. Well, it's maybe, not maybe. a chance. <laughs> oh, oh, man, opinion. that is messed up. <laughs> But my okay, opinion about chance. Okay, why? Like, I guess I've never thought about this or even asked this because I didn't even know that it costs like money to, like, adopt children. Like, why? Why is that? Like, why does it cost money to do that? That's kind of crazy to me because you have people that that have children, abuse children for free. So why should a loving couple or loving family have to pay any type of money to adopt a child? That's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I make sense to do some of the legal processing. So, like. In 1934, when it cost $50, that makes sense. That was like, probably the paperwork, the fees for someone to actually yeah, take care of all yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. That's an hour of a lawyer's time. That's And that's reasonable. But, I mean, just look at it. I mean, Lena, you know what I'm talking about. It's insanely expensive. And basically, it feels dirty to me because they're selling children. They also make you feel bad on the other end of it because I talked to – it was my cousin – who put her child up for adoption. And I talked to her about the process and um, she talked about how they make you feel like it may not actually work out for you if a family doesn't pick your baby. Mm. And if the way it works, if you want to put your child up for adoption before it's born, you go through the process of you are the one that meets the family and you tell them why you want to put the child up for adoption. And they are at the family. If the family chooses you and your child, they are there waiting when the baby is born. But they always go through this. If a family picks you, if a family is there, if a family has chosen you by the time the baby is born. So I don't even know what the process is. If you want to put your child up for adoption and no one picks you before the baby's born, do you have to take the baby home? even though you knew early, early on that you couldn't take care of this child, what's the process there? I, I don't know. The whole the thing just feels bad. Yeah, I think that depends on the jurisdiction. In some places, uh, the state just takes possession of the child immediately. Which is even worse because then it's like, I don't know. I get it. I know if you're, I know if you're wanting to give your child up for adoption, you have your reasons. You have good reasons for it. You, care, you chose to carry that child to term and then give it up. So you have reasons that you're probably you're probably not going to change your mind, but it would really suck to get there and know that you just handed it over to the state. Well, you know, it would, I, I I don't want to 
I don't want to make any judgments on anybody, of course. And I, this is just a qualifier to make people know, like, listen, like, I, you, being in that position in the first place to where you feel like you need to give up a child, that is, that's got to be a tough one to be in. Um, to lose a child that you had planned for, it's an incredibly tough position to be in. I can relate to that one. And I don't think, uh, no matter the situ, no matter what outcome, uh, or this plays out, whether they keep, whether a child, whether a 16 year old keeps a kid or gives it up. And this is obviously just the example here. Uh, it's not going to be easy. And realistically, nobody should ever do these things alone. Nobody ever should be feel ashamed about it. Uh, there should not be industries profiting from a, a, just profiting a lot of money. And that's something if, as long as nobody's making a ton of money, you can make a little bit of money because obviously people got bills to pay, but it, it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be moral. Anyways, uh, this has been going for quite a while. Yeah. We were able to take it and run with it. So, I mean, we're good. And honestly, I think, um, you two need to come back on and I definitely need to come on your show. We have a lot of ground to cover for sure. So this won't be the last time. We are launching, uh, our audio only podcast on Spotify and we're going to obviously continue doing what we're doing on YouTube. Um, we'll have more information by the time this is released, all that'll be out. So, you know, check us out on Spotify at cocaine, uh, a coffee and cocaine show. Uh, (laughs) Same on YouTube. Uh, you can check Barrington out on Twitter. All you got to do is search Barrington Martin II. He's the only one. The only. The only one. one. And I encourage you to check Barrington out. Uh, you know, listening, uh, engaging with us, sharing our videos, uh, asking us questions, uh, raging about us. These are all the things you can do to support us, and we appreciate every single one of you. Uh, in the coming future, we have a lot going on, and we're going to be a lot uh, adding on a lot to what we're already doing. So, yeah, stay tuned. And, of course, Lena, you can come by anytime. Anytime. Uh, you know, we're the yes. captain of the ship, and it, what we say goes. Yeah, and uh, for those of you listening, thank you so much for making it this far along. Stay tuned for the end of the episode for our voice line, where you can call in and leave commentary on ha- these two episodes or anything else for that matter. <laughs> and I will then put your voicemail to music and release it if you haven't listened to uh the one that's already out by the time this comes out there might be more than one we also add sound effects if you get real intense you you should check it out it's it's pretty fun it's pretty entertaining um i invite you to talk about any topic no matter how hard truth it might be or even a story or even a joke we want to hear from you thank you so much Thank you for joining Hard Truth today. I appreciate you. And before you go, our voice line is now open 24-7. Call 539-265-0702 to share your thoughts or story and have your voice on the show. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hardtruthpodcast or at mindwavelena on Twitter. And to become the next patron, head on over to patreon.com slash hardtruthpod. Until next time, hard truthers, much love.